Oh, hello. This episode of Cinema Swirl was brought to you with the support of our backers over at patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl. $5 backers get access to every episode of Cinema Swill, our monthly exclusive bonus show. It's like Cinema Swirl, but we're reviewing famously terrible movies. If you sign up now at the $5 level, you'll get access to 18 full podcast episodes. You'll get your own personal RSS feed that's compatible with most podcast players. It's really nice and simple. To find out more and see what other exclusive goodies are available, head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl. Right. Let's get swirling. Cinema Swirl! Is there a Mrs. Chive? It's episode number 65, and it's a very special occasion. Don't let the random number fool you. It is, in fact, a sixth anniversary special swirl as we stir the big glass of Hollywood with all of the gubbins that make up the Pim's cocktail of classic movies that you have not seen. Sam Chaplin, hello. Hello, 65. We're still very much alive and we have been for six whole calendar years oh yeah and sam i didn't mind to say alive and kicking thank you very much <laughs> yes we have look i noticed that it was the anniversary coming up we had our fifth year anniversary last year and that that felt like a big deal i don't know if we've really remarked on them before but but no, you're right though you're at the point now where it's not you notice them that's that's yeah. the important thing it's oh it's a, it's the like the time has elapsed now in the relationship where you notice as opposed to remember explicitly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it has been six years. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when this is released, Cinema Swirl will have been in existence for six whole years. How about that? Sixty-five episodes across six years. That doesn't mm. sound like a brilliant batting rate, but if you divide that up into like, if we did like a 10, 12 episode series per year, yeah. then they're like, oh, well that's just proper, that's like above and beyond what British telly does. So, And also as well, if you divide by the number of long breaks that we took, yeah. and then you add in all of the paywall content available mm-hmm. at patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl, then I think the batting average has actually yeah. got an asterisk beside it, Sam. And then if you add 17, you find your age, and that always works every <laughs> single time. It's weird, but like that's it's wild. The math there is crazy. I just thought it was worth, you know, going, oh, hey. Sixth anniversary. Hey, well done. Sixth anniversary. Yeah. Well done, you, huh? There we are now, six years, and yet it still feels a drop in the ocean of the Hollywood drink, so to speak. Mm. Now, Sam, I think before we get into today's movie, as we are all hepped up on anniversary goofballs, sure. we should perhaps dive in to this very brimming anniversary mailbag. Well, happy anniversary. Welcome to the mailbag. We've got some questions here. And of course, over the six years we've been doing Cinema Swirl, questions have come in from all sorts of different places. We've had cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. We've had the socials. And both yep. have been responded to brilliantly. Everyone loves both in equal measure. There's no... Equal measures. Exactly. No That's where we are with now. either of them. They're great. Equal measures, both of which, I will remind you, are half measures. So, the, <laughs> you know, it's fine. So all in all one measure so <laughs> thank you 
<laughs> Our first message here comes in from Neil, who asks, this is very uh, apropos, germane, relevant... If nothing. ...to the anniversary situation. This comes in from Neil, who says, being that anniversary celebrations seem to have a pseudo-item attached to each passing year, e.g. paper, wood, gold, etc., what swirl-themed tags would you give each other... Oh, would you give each year for the podcast so far? Mm. Well, oh no, Sam, I've given this some thought. Okay, so, so what happened was I've given it some thought too, but I misread the question. <laughs> I thought it was just, what tags would you give each other this year on the sixth oh, year? Of, so I haven't Sam, done one for every year. You've only went half-cocked now, haven't you? Is that it? Talk about half-measures. I've done a sixth measure. I've done a sixth a of the sixth? work that was required. Yeah. Oh, look at it. The Hobbit there now. Oh, I'll have a sixth now. I don't know if I'm <laughs> open for the full half. Oh, would you have a proper drink? Come on now. So, right, well, before we get into my deep thoughts on this, hmm. what are you going to give us for for this year, at least? What had you mused up on? So, mine isn't even swirl-related either. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <I've> done, I... <laughs> Every year we drift apart. I was so happy with this that I came up with, because, you know, the, so early on in anniversaries, it is things like paper and just kind of, like, flimsy things, and then you work your way up to 30, 40, 50 years, you got diamonds, rubies, things like that. So I thought, sixth anniversary, we're roughly at the kind of baby bell wax age, I think, <laughs> into... Yeah, we're, we're before you get into clobber and then it gets into booty, you know, yeah. as in the pirate version of that, as in, you know, golden doubloons and whatnot. We're currently at tat. I would say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sam, I would decided to, you know, kind of remain on brand. I delved into the archives and I looked at our average 10 episodes or thereabouts, plus or minus an average of one or two yeah. per year. And I thought these might be, as they were topics of note, might be relevant years. I think the first year, aka the gold golden years that's mm. the pepsi max anniversary i sure, think really because sure, sure, sure. Yeah. that was what the basis of it all allegedly seemed to be the second year though is when some of the resentment starts to kick in that's when it's the tiffin year though isn't it you know the tiffin year yeah and then year three you lived quite near some nice fast food places where we did most of those episodes. I did, yeah. Uh, Papa John's and the KFC. <laughs> yeah, that is the KFC year, actually. I was okay, going to yeah. be fried chicken, but just right now it's KFC. KFC it's the KFC year. year. A greasy year, by the way. A very greasy year. A greasy year. And mm. year number four was, in many senses, a palace cleanser of a year. There was a, a start afresh after a long period of time away. And also, I remember we did the thing. So that's the barbecue glaze year is what that is, okay? Year number five, though, the resentment has set back in again. Okay, it's uh, the yeah. pork pie jelly year is year number five, wasn't it? You know, that's what it was. And here we are now, year number Going six. Into the future. I, I'm proud to toast to you the future of this, our garlic angel delight anniversary, <laughs> Sam Chaplin. Uh, my OTP, here's to you and many more on cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. You know, that was genuinely beautiful. You put in the work. It reminded me of things we'd said before. All I did was say, ooh, a baby bell. So... <laughs> But I think that's reflective of the dynamic of the podcast too, you know? The you know, a lot the resentment's making sense so people are going, Yeah, mm, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Neil. That was a lovely question. Thank you for all joining us here on our sixth anniversary. Our next question comes in from Noel. Now, look, I know we said early on during this whole current circumstance that we weren't gonna talk about it too much, but 
Noel says, with filming starting resuming in certain places around the globe, are there any movies you guys would like to see re-released in cinemas before we get bombarded with fresh shite? In, in ah, way? I mean, I love a bit of fresh shite, me. Mm. I mean, I will just say, and this is to incredibly time-date this episode, we are at the beginning of July in 2020. Yeah. And Boy, m- mid, mid. Mid, we're actually mid. We're mid. I, I beg my pudding, we mm. are mid-July 2020, where last weekend I saw people saying, I went to the cinema this week. And mm. I'm like, but what did you see? What's out? Scoop? What, oh, what's out? No, they just put old stuff on. They just, oh. that's all they, for, for like, well, the cinema I used to work at is just putting on like some old stuff for five quid a pop. Okay. So they've got your Matrixes. Okay. They've got yeah are they reloaded no i think just like mm. you know the, the initial one you could probably mm. see i don't know bohemian rhapsody or some shit I, but i think places are doing are they bringing out the bangers is that what you're telling me <laughs> sam are they bringing out the bangers are they going to fill the rooms with the bangers they're looking in the projection room being like what shit have we got that we can just bang on whatever the, the cinema equivalent of playing it loud for the seats in the back that's what we'll put on i, I have people on the inside in the cinema world no one's really going to the cinema because why would you go to the fucking cinema now come on guys come I, on. Yeah. I don't know I don't want to cast aspersion but here's the thing I don't have a local popcorn house you know mm. I don't have a, a local little if I had a little place or, or somewhere that you know I patronise that I felt could use with my patronage mm. but I don't feel that way about like most chain cinemas and that maybe that's because I've got a cold heart of ice from all the slushies I've had at chain cinemas <laughs> but you know <laughs> I kind of feel people's apprehension but in terms of what you'd put out there I mean I don't know. Yeah. Not much is going to make me go out at the moment, that being said. So... If one of these cinemas, one of these big chains wants to do a season of Swirl, where they put on in order the films from Cinema Swirl. And play the movie at the same time to see if it matches up. And if it doesn't, because it's the wrong length, you elongate or chat or speed it up as applicable. Because I think there's some that are longer than the movie and some that are shorter. I'll pop down and I'll start chatting in the middle (laughs) of the film. I'll I'll just be there chatting away. So... (laughs) It's a difficult one. Oh, I'll tell you what I would like, Sam. Yeah. I'll tell you what I would be down for if someone was, was offering to do it. They used to do this now back in uh, Kinema in the Woods, back in, in what I mentioned before, a nice little cinema house out mm. in Lincolnshire. They would show Jaws and then they would do, they'd show it outside and then they'd have like a swimming place set up as well. Oh. So, you could go. so maybe not do the swimming thing, but outdoor cinema. I'd love to see some movies outside. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there was this whole... Uh, look, we're going full COVID now. There was the whole thing about like, oh, you can have drive-ins cinemas are there have you ever been to a drive-in cinema in this country no because i'm not from the 1950s and american <laughs> like i've never fucking shared a milkshake either or roller skated but whatever man like i think it would be nice kind of but i don't know yeah, it'd be nice to be beguiled by elvis's hips but it's a bygone era it's not gonna happen <laughs> all right i'm not gonna be able to sit in a car with a hundred other cars and think this is fine this is fucking normal yeah. and the one i heard as well is stand-up comedy where they beep horns instead of clapping and yeah, l- no, yeah. No. no. Oh, that's that's a nightmare. Fucking performance stand up for cars. What am I, I Jeremy Clarkson? <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> Honk if you hate women. <laughs> <laughs> So your point about Jaws having the outside cinema and also swimming is like a, a double whammy of lockdown easing stuff. Like, we can go in a swimming pool now. We can go to the cinema. Let's do them at the same time. Double diff, but don't actually 
double dip because that no. would be bad. No, no, no. So thank you for that question, Noel. Final question here comes in from Simon, who writes, Happy anniversary, you pair of right honourable gentlemen. Thank you both for your continued episodes and laughs over the years. No problem, Simon. In the six years of Cinema Swell, we here in the UK have had, or should I say endured, three different Prime Ministers. My question requires you to firstly imagine a scenario where the Conservative Party have passed a bill through the House of Commons which allows the Prime Minister to sit out one week of PMQs throughout their time in the role and instead pull down a projector in front of the Speaker's seat and put on a film. Wow, this is great. I I really apologise to the American listeners right now and I know there are some of you, but this is going to be great. So the question is, which film do you think David Cameron, Theresa May and Boris Johnson would choose to play and why? And this has a real, like, end-of-term... The teacher just wheels in the VCR and plays a movie, <laughs> but in politics. And this is an interesting one to think about. It, it is, and mm. it immediately made me think of... I th- it's something that came up on a swirl eons ago. Right. But someone brought up, I think, Gordon Brown, I believe, was given a gift or was gifted, or gifted, I should say, mm. like a set of 12 DVDs to Barack Obama when he, when he came, assumed office. Yeah, I think he got them from from Barack Obama and yeah, he gave it was like, uh, intricate carved special objects yeah it, it was really strange it was like you know when you used to buy DVD players and you get like five movies that would come kind of bundled with the DVD mm. player to kind of push you over the edge like come on there's Mission Impossible buy it uh, you know <laughs> so I've given it thought but the problem is the last three Prime Ministers are all absolute fucking howlers mm. like in, in different levels of like kind of not fun so I've struggled with this I would say David Cameron as I believed he had a particular robotic out of touchness i think that him popping on like notting hill and thinking that's like a nor like that's what life is like you know i know it's like for you struggling families out there with your bookshop and your julia roberts you know it's it's we're, we're working for you you know he'd probably put on like an arctic monkeys concert film because he's like oh i'm down with the kids i know i like the cool music no, he put on an inception that would be the thing uh, his advisors would tell him at yeah. 2010 is the thing that he should be watching so i actually looked up he's done an interview about his favourite films and that David Cameron they're all very boring and quite predictable and things like Schindler's List Lawrence of Arabia stuff you're kind of supposed to say as a Prime Minister but he did give an honourable mention to the last 10 minutes of Shrek 2 <laughs> so are think- you fucking kidding me <laughs> so- are you fucking kidding I me I would love for David Cameron to come in <laughs> to the House of Commons pull down the projector somebody wants yeah! that Oh, Classic Dave. Good on you, Dave. Put on a kids' film. Everyone has a great time. Big society. Here we go. That is the most fucking cursed <laughs> thing ever. And yeah, it's like it's great because you thought conservatives were bad. I you thought Shrek was bad. But along comes somehow more commercialized, even worse Shrek Two. Brackets David Cameron conservatives. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You listen to some conservative think tank policy talk here on Cinema Wonk with Kevin. <laughs> Sam. But I suppose, like, Shrek had that whole get out of my swamp, but David had a more stay in my European Union, but it didn't didn't work out. He really fudged, fudged no, that one. No, but there was, the, well, he was, there was the the hostile environment by the Home Office that was, like, get out of our country, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and, like, much like Shrek, they were very outspoken about that and very crass. Very crass. Uh, Theresa May 
I would say probably something with people running through wheat. Yeah, I was there like I would have thought like Dorothy in Wizard of Oz has kind of got like you know there's some fields of wheat in the Dust Bowl, isn't there? I'm I was pretty say, sure. Like, the Sound of Music seems like the sort of thing that would have that in it. Um, it's long, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Theresa May is a hard one to. No, no. Theresa May would do Sound of Music, but she'd fast forward the singing bits. That's what she'd do. <laughs> she only wants you to know about like the historical context of the children running away from oh. the Nazis or whatever. <laughs> The hills of music. <laughs> Boris Johnson, Norbit. Uh, the, the Matrix. Blah, bloody banger, blue bill, bonner, buck. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's shit. Like, or okay, how about Boris? He probably put on Darkest Arrow, but he'd fast forward all the bits that didn't have Churchill in them, thus depriving any of the context. Seems like something he'd want to do. Yeah, I, that that seems very on brand for Boris. So thank you everyone for all your questions on this here, our sixth anniversary. If you've got any more questions, you can send them on in to cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. Now let's close up the mailbag. Oh, wh- whoopsie daisy. Uh, it looks like I'm falling down. Hey, hey, what's going on over here? Oh, I- Sam, have we ever, with you falling down here, your nice clean shoes, have we ever... <laughs> Have we ever had, because I think this may be, for our sixth anniversary, the first ever double dip swirl, where we've just done a vote, we've had a winner, and then just done what second place immediately thereafter. I feel like we did it once before, but I can't remember what it was, but it definitely wasn't the same director, I don't think. And it certainly didn't have as good a name as double dip swirl. No, double dip swirl, yes. Oh, that sounds fucking delicious. Yeah, really sherbet-y taste, it's nice. Yeah, Yeah, lovely. And there's a creamy element as well, Mm -hmm. I feel. Mm -hmm. A a mix of textures. Yeah, this is another Joel Schumacher film that did very well in the votes. People were very, very passionate about it. Remarks about how timely this was, or relevant this was. And they were also, as well, those same people, very happy that we did uh, Lost Boys. And we got, you know, we got, got nice feedback about that. But don't worry, because we're here right now. I felt there was a strong passion about Falling Down, not mm. least for myself, because this is a movie which I saw very, very young. Okay. Too young, for sure. Mm. And it has stayed with me ever since. But it's one of those weird movies that, as it's travelled through time, it's kind of meaning and content has changed a lot I've went through this movie at different points in my life kind of going like yay or boo and not understanding what it was actually about when I maybe saw it when I was eight or there the first time but I was wondering if you know anything about it you've obviously seen the the poster do you know falling down plot synopsis guesses so I think I do sort of know a bit about this I know that Michael Douglas is in it I don't know too much about Michael Douglas, really, Isn't generally. Has he shown I, up on here before? I don't think so, don't and I think can't so. think of any films I've seen Michael Douglas in. Have you seen Ant-Man? Ant- no, no. Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yes, no, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you would have been lost, mate, it would have been no point. Man. Is he the Wasp? No, he's no, not the no, Wasp. No, no, he's the old man. Okay. The Wasp is the lost lady, what am I talking oh, about? yes. It, I it, thought you'd be all over that supporting your Lily. lost. I thought you, the guys in the lost alum forum and the dm'd you <laughs> the site has since uh depreciated <laughs> and, uh, it's become null and void so the discord is terrible yeah i can't think of anything i've seen michael douglas in mm. i know roughly who he is what he looks like i like his glasses in the film i, I think i know what his glasses look like okay 
What does he look like in this movie? He's like a businessman. Mm-hmm. Like a businessman. And look, I think I sort of have a, a rough idea of plot here. Oh, really? Okay, because this is from Last Boys, which I must admit, still buzzing from Last Boys last yeah, go yeah. around. Oh. And plans to watch it again this weekend. Fabulous. Nice. Do you anticipate anything about this movie maybe having seen Lost Boys when when you're you're guessing your plot here? Not really. This is uh, things I've absorbed from other areas. I don't know ah. where from. I think I think it's like a, you know, a working stiff mm. who snaps and goes mad. Snaps. What would make snaps. what would make the working man snap, Sam? Ah, too many too many reports that need to be on the desk by five, you know? Oh, to, I, oh, he's speaking from experience, huh? You know, Jim's put your stapler in jelly. <laughs> <laughs> and just one day, oh, no! Oh. But other than that, that's all I know. I think I might be getting this confused with the idea of going postal. Okay. Or the film postal or the game postal. Okay. I feel like so, so, some of that is wrapped up in my mind. What, is that? what does postal mean? I think homicidally... Uh, upset. <laughs> so what, uh, Michael Douglas is going to go kill a lot of people? I don't know he? if there's killing here or if I've mixed that up with something else. I don't know if if there's if this is violent or this is just a, a portrayal of a man just breaking here. I, Are we thinking like this is going to be comedy, drama, ooh. thriller, action? Like you're you're what you're explaining there feels like it could be the setup for any number of movies. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like this it, it could go either way. I think the lo- I mean the Lost Boys had a nice balance of sort of romp. It, it constantly surprised you with its rompness and also its seriousness, horror, and also comedy mm. i don't i don't get as much of a comedy vibe from this just okay. on kind of gut instinct okay <laughs> you know i'm not sure how many goofs and gaffs we're going to be having how okay well, i suppose with falling down it might have a kind of you've been framed type vibe to it <laughs> do you think jeremy beadle is going to play a trick on him <laughs> that could be what da-da, makes him snap He's cut it all. He's like on edge, constantly watching because he's, you know, Beatles about somewhere and he's <laughs> having to watch out. So maybe there's a kind of slapstick element to, to this. It. Okay. Falling down. Do you think, even with conservative estimates, maybe, yeah. do you think you're in for a couple of yucks? Because we have heard mm. that you are game for a giggle. And I, I was wondering <coughs> if you're primed for one. I'm game for a giggle. I'm up for a laugh. Laugh, laugh, laugh. I'm a bit of a wind-up merchant, as we've established. Given Joel Schumacher's track record from what I've seen, and that is Batman and Robin and The Lost Boys, I think there might be some dark humour on show here. I think... I'm expecting some yucks, but the yucks might be relief from the onslaught of what else is going on, you know? Or or maybe being able to look at a dire situation and laugh at it, but... In in the way that James Bond laughed when he was having his his cock and balls hit with a big rope... Yes. ...in Casino Royale, which we've watched over on Patreon on the reverse swirl. Oh, thanks for reminding me of that (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ thing you go. So maybe that, that kind of laughter you do when you're being hit in the in the bits with a rope. So you're you're expecting some kind of a 
extreme action here, maybe. I don't, uh, uh, a bit of a follow-on from that, mm. our main man, Michael D., Mickey Douglas here, yeah. is he going to be a hero, a villain? Is he going to be, I mean, would you say he's going to be the protagonist, like the main, the, the goody of the film, or we see it through his eyes? What do you think? Oh, well, the, I mean, this could be a kind of, uh, you know, a, a Breaking Bad Walter White type situation, oh, you know? I see. When, uh, oh, Mr. Chips transforms into Scar face over the course of the duration of the proceedings right am oh, i right see okay, when, you, okay. when you watch when you watch breaking bad you're like oh this walt guy he's our hero right and then over time you're like oh uh, wait a minute Maybe he, maybe he's the bad guy. He's turned bad. No, I, no, I think you've watched that wrong. Now he's breaking the badge. Uh, okay, <laughs> he's breaking it up into its constituent parts. Like, yeah. I don't. What's wrong with that's that? A, that's a thing that a good person would do. They'd break the bad to stop bad from happening. Michael Douglas is falling down, but w- when we see him at the start, he might be up. You know, that's he true. might be quite high up. And we're going to see him fall down. There seems to be a, a, an implied descent. I see a descent right? here. And I ask you this not to to make you dwell on the commute or anything like that. Mm. But you're, you've been an office boy. You've been a salary man. You know. You've done the commute. You've done the the suit and tie. You've done the job. You do, uh, yeah. you, you do the suit, you do the tie, you do the desk. I've, I've done desk, I've done nine to five, I've done the bloody, the bloody Monday morning commute. I've, I've done all that kind of thing. He, this man's had caseloads of Mondays, is what I'm saying, folks, okay? So I was going to ask you, like, mm. do you think that this is going to be some sort of a cathartic experience for, you know, the commute, ah. the working man, the commuter, you know, the office worker? Uh, maybe. I, you know what? I'd welcome it. I'd bloody welcome it. You know, with with some of the, you know, work I've had to do. <laughs> I'd welcome a cathartic moment there, standing up for the white-collar office worker man. Yeah, right, yeah. It's about, it's time, it's about you know. time someone stood on the side of people Move who work Move over the offices. US office. There's a new gunslinger in town, and yeah. it's falling down. Mm. Well, I mean, I think you're going... To- I actually don't know if you're going to enjoy it now that I think about it. I hadn't even considered that this could be a workplace comedy. <laughs> because, like, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying. He's got the suit and tie, he's got the briefcase, he's got the glasses. He could, you know, he's kind of a, a comic relief character. He, I mean, well, I saw that poster and what drew it to me as a child and wanted to see the movie, because my dad had it on video, was that I thought it was like Dilbert the movie, which I, I loved reading <laughs> Dilbert car- <laughs> cartoon strips and like he had a tie and he looked like kind of Dilbert I yeah. thought well why not like well you know I'm I'm up for a giggle I'm game for a giggle up for I, a laugh as has been established yeah up for a laugh, laugh, laugh. Now, so, as we're getting primed in here, I think that I'm going to reserve saying whether I think you'll enjoy it because I'm not sure where I stand. I've not seen this movie in probably around five or six years now that I think about it. Okay. And I don't know. I think a lot has changed in that time. I think the world is very different. And I think, mm. I think as you were saying, people are, are talking about how it's kind of resonant now and whatnot. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm my mind is like, I'm 100% certain it will be resonant. But my mind's like, how though? And I'm not sure how okay. it will be and if it'll be good or bad and how it is resident. So I'm not sure if it's going to make us both feel full of dread is what, uh, I, is what I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I have no idea. I don't know how I'm going to feel at the end of this. I mean, you're game for a giggle. Are you down for a dread? We don't know yes, you know. <laughs> am, I, am I down for a fall? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you are falling down. So let's go do a cinema swirl.
And we're back, dusting ourselves off, having just fallen down, falling, falling down, fall, fell down, fell down with Michael Douglas. Now, I had a bit of an issue with this one, Sam, because mm. when we're going in, I wasn't entirely sure what sort of a movie we're setting you off to sail on. And according to Wikipedia, this was a crime thriller. And according to Amazon, where I purchased this for rental viewing, it was a deeply dark comedy. So I wasn't really ah, sure where, okay. where to hang one's hat on this. Uh, and having just watched the movie... And several times, I don't know what to think in terms of how to classify it, but what are your initial gut reactions? My, okay, initial gut reaction. I'm going to do my noise. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give that one more take. One more time, please. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Yeah. There's an element of concern there, I hear. There's a lot in that noise, but it, it definitely felt like a, hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> one of those so, ones. You you weren't necessarily pumping your fist and screaming Yahoo after or seemingly nonstop stream of action good times recently on Cinema Swirl. This is definitely different, and mm-hmm. my reaction does not necessarily mean that I thought it was bad, mm-hmm. but that I'd... Mm. You know? Oh. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to think if we've ever had a movie, because like, I'm trying to think of other movies like this, like Starship Troopers is a good example of, of a movie that on its surface presents itself as being... You know what? I'll, get, I'll tell you what. It's got a little bit of the Robocop about it, because on the surface it presents a bit of a smash-bang wallop, how's your father, all the tricks of the trade of a, of a big action movie extravaganza. Yeah. But it is actually subtly, and in many cases not so subtly, trying to provide... Provide a, a little bit of that old commentary on the social issues and whatnot along the way. And I think eight-year-old Kevin could have been forgiven, or however <laughs> old I was, for thinking, I really hope Dilbert gets home for his daughter's birthday. But yes. in, in hindsight, if you're an adult thinking that Michael Douglas's character, Bill Foster, defense, whatever you want to call him, is the good guy of this, you're sorely mistaken. That cannot have been the intent. It's certainly complicated, is what I will say about that. <laughs> But you know what I did like straight off the bat the the intro being just that kind of heavy tense breathing and then we get that big close up of Michael Douglas's face just as Michael Douglas pops up on the screens in the in the credits. It's a big hot day. It's a big hot day in big hot LA. It's a hot day. I'm going to be calling him Michael Douglas slash Michael the whole time. I'm so sorry. F- feel free to slip in a Mickey D as well if you want to. You know, I'm reaching out to Mr. Douglas's people to see if they want to do any kind of, you know, maybe branding with that. You know, it's up to him. I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, hey, he's a guy on a hot day sitting in his car in a big old traffic jam. There's no Noise from all the vehicles all around, and uh, what's the deal with traffic uh, jams, man? You haven't oh. even got a smartphone to ring one eight hundred eat shit either. You know, it's just one of those situations. I think being in traffic brings out the worst in everyone. Yes, hot days. Oh no, can't uh-huh. be handling no hot days. Speaking of hot day tip, coming at you right now. Mm-hmm. Open windows, drawn curtains. There you go. Oh. How about that? Okay. Yeah, you got the you got the breeze. You ain't got the light. You ain't gonna, you're not going to get that shine. You're not going to get the heat, you know? So there you go. A little bit of something. Maybe if Michael Douglas, his character had paid heed to that, we wouldn't have this bad time on a hot day, to put it lightly. <laughs> he should have pulled his curtains on his car, and it would have been fine. 
I do love how irritating this whole scene feels. It really, mm. I, I could get into that world of all the little cuts to the various details around, the fly buzzing around, a Garfield plushie that really gets some hard zooms on that Garfield plush in someone's window. In the serious case of the Mondays is what they're trying to imply with this. It's probably effective at, at stressing me out, though, because I did feel that tension there i mean have you like you know bill foster here yeah. have you had to eat plates and plates of mondays in this kind of uh in this scenario have you been tormented by the garfield on the commute with the suit and the tie i never used to mind traffic jams as much when i used to drive to work it didn't really bother me mm. uh, or drive from work <laughs> either way on the commute i would sort of enjoy a traffic jam but then i am a strange man because it's just nice to sit there listen to your music isn't it yeah but you're the type of person who's definitely allowed himself an extra half an hour for any would-be and near would-be traffic jam scenarios yes, yes i have and it's not like i'm, I'm getting home from my daughter's birthday all right it's not it's not like that you ain't got that stress hanging over your head you just got a frozen pizza with your name all over it no but hey i've been stressed and i've been in situations where all the little irritations and noises around me bother me and it all just builds up it's little things and it's little mundane details but all of them together creating this cacophony this orchestral noise this just irritating shit and it builds up and he steps out of his car and that you know what we're talking about catharsis that at this point, with what I know from this character, felt good. That kind of, fuck this, I'm out of here. Great. Love that. Yeah, well, it's, Brilliant. it's not necessarily going to be Ferris Bueller's Day Off, although I suspect <laughs> you've not seen that movie. I have seen that movie. I you have, have seen have. Ferris Bueller. Well, yeah. there, there, uh, there was a part of me as a kid that was like, he's going to have the best bunk off day ever. Ever. He's bunked his car. Like, that's how hard he's parked it. He's bunked it. This is Dark Universe Ferris Bueller's Day, obviously. This is like pretty, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the thing to bear in mind about this, and this is something that I had absolutely no knowledge of mm. during my most you know, recent watching of this beforehand or, you know, any of the times I watched it as a kid. You know, this is one of the VHS classics that was on rotation in the Madden household. But I didn't know this movie when it came out in 1993. Mm. This is pretty much one of the first really big, you know, movies set in LA about racial tensions and whatnot and society's right. ills after the big riots that were in Los Angeles in the summers of 19. 1991 and uh. it, yeah those those la riots are apparently like legendary and like there's been a lot of stuff i'd heard about it in in recent months for obvious reasons mm. there's been more kind of stories shared and it made this movie quite controversial at the time because whatever chats we can have today in 2020 context about oh is this glorifying violence people in general seem to be not very comfortable with this movie taking place this white guy going across every kind of ethnic minority part of la and having his two cents when they were still you know cleaning up after the riots and fixing things yeah uh, uh, okay yeah placing it in that context it's even more kind of and like the movie it's got quite a, a wide range of fire let's just say and i think it is quite interesting to look at through the lens of you know is it okay for someone to have all these pops at all these different groups and all these frustrations they experience if at the same time later on they're gonna have a pop at the guy at the country club and mr six figures and whatnot but i kind of think if anything this movie goes a long way to kind of showing the hypocrisy of 
of your kind of everyday, I'm not a racist, but I just think you're a thug type of a mindset, let's just say. Mm, it does. So, yeah. The movie, like, its first kind of foray into this is, when, is like one of the first scenes where they go into the Korean greengrocers. Mm. And the main thing I learned when researching this movie was that the Korean Greengrocers Association, which was kind of like a big group of like of, of Korean uh, interests in this sector that had come together after the LA riots, where like most of the damage that was done was disproportionately affected Koreatown for whatever reason. Okay. And they thought the depiction of this character in the movie was like racist stupid, bad. The movie wasn't released in Korea and Michael Douglas this is where we're at folks, Michael Douglas had to meet with the head of the Korean Green Grocer Association to chat with him about why it's okay they portrayed them that way in the movie. Wow. The star power of Michael Douglas squeaked this out into a release. That meeting I mean (laughs) (laughs) What are you aware to that meeting if you're Michael Douglas, Sam? Well, Kevin, just to, you know take things in another direction for a second we're introduced to Robert Duvall who we first meet smirking at a billboard uh, of a lady in a bikini and he's having a little giggle because someone's graffitied a little man coming out through the cleavage and saying, help me, I'm, I'm stuck in the boobies. So it's, it's the movie's subtle way of saying, that's our man right there, okay? <laughs> Don't you worry, whatever's going to happen. Prendergast right here, he's got his fucking shit sorted. All I'm saying is we can take different things from this movie, all right? <laughs> And I, I'm with a little giggle at the funny graffiti. I mean, I just thought I'd mentioned that right at the start yeah, because yeah. it feels like the movie kind of begins with a more a lot of the contentious stuff and then kind of forays into more grey areas. Let's just say. Mm. I mean, I was wondering if we've talked a lot about you know, uh, you know Simpsons referencing things and whatnot. I don't know if there's any obvious comparisons to a certain Simpsons one-off character that you may be aware of. Frank Grimes. It's Frank Grimes indeed. Uh, Frank Grimes Gets Upset is the alternate title for this movie. Uh, The movie's very grey and beige as well throughout. It Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me a lot of video games, third-person action games on the Xbox 360. Yes. It does have that vibe, that that hue, that tone. Like, if there was cover, it would be chest high. That's kind of what I feel, (laughs) you know, in this world. So, early on, the car's been abandoned. Robert Duvall's here. He witnesses the whole thing. He's helping out with the car being kind of removed by the cops. remember what movie you saw him in recently enough on Swirl? Oh, do I? You're a big fan of the movie? Mmm... My memory is pretty bad. You're going to have to... He was Tom Hagen in The Godfather, the consigliere uh, of, uh, yes. of the Corleone oh, family. Yes. Ah, yes. Yes. There yes, you yes, are. Yes. Now, I must say, I love some of the lines here where it made me realise that me kind of viewing it, remembering it as a dark comedy. Like, I think there are lines here where there is, like you thought there would be, like so much levity. I think you would have to describe this, at least in part, as a dark comedy. Oh, yeah. Like when you've got the, the two cops and the guy's like, you know, yeah, I'm trying he's like hey i'm downtown burglary and the third guy who's helping him's like i'm in linoleum myself (laughs) (laughs) and then he says uh hey guys i just want you to know i love cops you know the tv show (laughs) and even the the line from the the state trooper when he's like you know finds out it's duval's last day and he just goes lucky me you know there's there's a lot of humor here i think there is humor i again enjoying the last day before retirement trope that i think schumacher or the writer here is kind of wheeling out and having fun with that's a fun trope to deal with we've seen that countless times in various things but seems to be playing into it here yeah both the kind of oh i bet you'll get killed in your last day because you're sorry 
retirement, but also like you actually might get killed in your last day because of retirement. It's one of those great things to be anxious about that people joke about all the time. So then you go mad thinking whether or not you're meant to be anxious about it. It's very relatable stuff here. Yeah. So Michael Douglas, he's calling a family. Turns out it's his family, his, well, his former family, his ex-wife and his child from a payphone. It doesn't say anything when she picks up. Mm. Mm. How's he even able to make the call? We've we've sidestepped a big part here because the man's hot comes into the greengrocers after a, a, a trudge through the hot streets of LA, mm. and he made the wrong choice. He didn't do the choice of the new generation. He cooled his forehead down with ah. a can of Coke like a fucking idiot. Well, look, we've all been there, cooling our face down with a lovely can of Coke, and so th- 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 like this whole scene where he's in this convenience store. He needs some change for the phone, but he can't get change. He has to buy something first, so he gets a drink. The drink is too expensive, and he's like, oh, that's that's too much money. Ah, bah, 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 bah. These are all sort of reasonable, like, oh, what what's going on in this bloody Little world? Little annoyances, You know, yeah. back in my day, things were cheaper. And then it tips over into, like, oh, you, you're in this country, speak the language, and all this the actual racism stuff going on. And, and I love how it seemed to me, like, you're watching this, it, it seemed to me that Michael Douglas's character is kind of meant to be, like, the, the oh, no, I'm not I'm not racist, racist. Mm. Like, I.e. the most prolific type of racist that there yes. is. Yeah. And my favourite bit where they, I think you have to really have your blinders up to think that he's meant to be anything of, like, I think he is sympathetic at points, the character, oh, yeah, yeah. but yeah. if you think you're meant to think he's cool or you're meant to be on his side like even if you're meant to sympathize any points he like the part here where he goes do you have any idea how much money my country sends your country and he's like how much i don't know know, uh, you know it's probably i've done no research that is is such a funny delivery of that line where he's like uh yeah i don't know but i I would bet it's a lot probably it's (laughs) (laughs) i'm just assuming that my my rage is justified here like obviously this character doesn't have to be relatable or likable to be interesting and i feel like he is kind of an examination of this i think a position a lot of people have been in and a lot of people recently in the past all all over time where things are going wrong for you personally and you take it out on different things that you can kind of try and imagine are responsible but really aren't and it's actually your own lashing out prejudices the mindset that kind of leads you to then like link something as silly as like a soda being too expensive to the downfall of american society as we know it yes so one minute you're haggling in a in a store which is you know what big play right there you know to go into a convenience store and be like i am legitimately going to haggle as is my right as laid down in the magna carta but you know one minute you're haggling the next minute you're smashing up a store and threatening someone with their life it's basically an apprentice task gone incredibly awry here (laughs) i've never haggled in my life have you haggled really oh i'm a big big haggler big honestly there was one time i was in London and I had a spare like hour or thereabouts mm. and I was in you know kind of one of those areas where there's a lot of kind of clothing suppliers and wholesalers and things okay. of that nature and I was like right, I wanted to get a mannequin's head for one of my wrestling masks I had a home to display it on mm-hmm. so I went around a few of these different kind of wholesalers and got to do the whole you know apprentice task you go in you chat beforehand with the team about what you're going to make sure you do and all that and we spat in each other's hands as well which is a bygone era Sam right 
there. We, we uh, struck a deal. We struck a deal. We both thought we came out swinging. So that's the best type of haggle there is. You can't just haggle in like a shop, though, can you? Like a regular old shop. Apparently you can. Mm. I have heard, like, saying there's nothing illegal about haggling. They, they don't have to listen to you or anything like that. But like, if you're if you're in a <laughs> shop and you're going up and you're like, you want this magnum and it's a quid and you've got 90p. You, you can you give can, it a go. Like, you're not, not within your rights to argue your corner. Yeah. They can very much be like, well, no, it is that price. But you can... You can ask. Yeah, and I mean, there's certain things you can kind of get away with when you're a big, loud white guy like me and you, and uh, I'm not sure if even us would try to go in and start haggling on a corner shop. No. He's knocked this Korean store owner to the floor. And he keeps smashing things and being like, what price is this? Smash. What price is this? Smash. It's like a horrible, dystopian, racist supermarket sweep. <laughs> you wouldn't get that with Ryland. No, you, w- no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. No. No. Safe pair of hands, long established. It is, again, another dark university supermarket sweep, like another little <laughs> thing that's just, if it went horribly wrong. Now, again, catharsis, there is something nice about just smashing shit, but in this context, bad, you know? Yeah, and it was at this moment that that guy with anger problems that we talked about before, who opened up a smashatorium in Nottingham. Yes. That's when he obviously got the idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, But he finally manages to get his soda for 50 cents and calmly walks out. So he's still, in his head, playing by the rules and doing things right and not being a bad guy even though he's fucked up this shop been racist to a man he struck a chord for those who've been hit back by all the thieves apparently that are out there in the world yeah and and honestly it's kind of downhill from here in terms of his loose justification of doing things Mm. I was wondering in this movie if there was going to be any point where like oh this is the like you know when you're watching Breaking Brad with idiots and every episode is like oh now he's gone full Heisenberg the mask hath slipped and the mask is not of Walter White it doth of Heisenberg it be on his face mm. uh, but I think to think in this movie if there is a point where he is going to go oh now this is the point where he crosses I think he's already past the point of no return before the movie's even started I think yeah which is interesting I thought we'd see the snap but it it kind of develops that the snap has already happened. As is the case with most of these angry folks. It's not yeah. like, this isn't the straw. The, the straw hath broke the camel's back eons ago at this point. The camel doesn't have a back, really, you know? Oh, Prenda ass, we got sand in your desk. Yeah. Oh, why don't you retire your fucking fossil and eat a load of cat shit? Oh. They put sand in his desk. I got, this is proper Jim and Dwight prank territory here. Sand I was desk. really hoping when he's like looking at sand at his desk that you cut to some older cop going like, damn it, he had one day left of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Duvall here retiring with sand in his desk. He's got a picture of a daughter. His fucking daughter. His fucking daughter. And he's on the phone to his wife saying he'll he'll be home soon. But he, he's singing London Bridge is Falling Down. And the film is, of course, called Falling Down. So we hear Falling Down. And what we would always do, you know, the Irish, we chant that. We go, Oi, London Bridge is falling down. You'd be, Oi! Hey. <laughs> it, it is not. How dare you? Now, fun fact about London Bridge and where yeah. they moved to in Arizona. I thought it was just some kind of gag for the movie or something like that. But legitimately, in 1967, London Bridge was moved brick by brick from across the Thames River to a small town in Arizona as a tourist destination. Like this is London Bridge is in Arizona. What? 
Yeah, they took nah. apart London Bridge in 1967. Some weird guy, what? like some like yeah, some eccentric did it who like <laughs> tried to do all sorts of weird things. Oh, yeah, it's there. It's no. legitimately there. They, I watched this movie a thousand times, and the first time I ever, I was like, "What is this London Bridge shit?" There is a town in Arizona, the London Bridge, 1967. Okay, all right. Well, mate, you want to say British bridges for the British? Yeah, don't take our bridges going over there. Anyone can walk over them, mate. Anyone can walk over them. Wow. I, yeah, I thought that was just a silly goof, a weird thing to say. But the, yeah, like, the London London Bridge. London Bridge. It's been. It's in Arizona. Denizens of England, it's 11 p.m. Do you know where your bridges are? (laughs) Are they falling down or are they in Arizona? Check now. London Bridge is reassembled in Arizona. (laughs) Well, look, you can't do it until London Bridge has fallen down. That's just the way the rhyme goes, isn't it? I'll tell you what, when I was growing up watching this movie, Hmm. I used to always think Prendergast's wife, I think as you were meant to kind of think, is like, oh, she's like, oh, I just rang you up because I randomly got anxious and I got really scared. I don't know why. And Hmm. when I was growing up, I was like, what a a crazy lady. And now in 2020, she's like the most relatable character ever. Where I was like, hi, it's 2020. I just got randomly scared. And I had to ring someone to tell them. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> We've all had those phone calls in the last few months. So Michael Michael Douglas here is sitting on some concrete steps with some graffiti on them, and he's accosted by some gang members who's who say that he's trespassing. He's had a bad day as well because he's been walking and his dogs are barking and he's got a big dirty hole. And mm. uh, I bet he's there thinking, oh, it's a conspiracy to put holes in white shoes. And I'm like, no, they're they're brown and black those shoes at the very least. He's like, no, I meant shoes worn by white it doesn't matter it's fine i've not done my research to back up my arguments damn it and he he does sort of try to reasonably if a bit sarcastically and weirdly <laughs> insultingly like yeah i mean i've been more polite to people i've been returning food to in restaurants mm. than he is here and these guys look like they might fuck him up a little bit he he tries to diffuse the situation in his kind of i'm right i understand this is your you feel this is your turf I'm going to leave now. Yeah, but he's like, I, this is where you, like, piss and shit and eat it. Is, something, is that it, what it is? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's talking down to them, absolutely. But they want his briefcase. They want the B case. It's the toll for, for passing through the territory. But that's the famous briefcase from the poster, so he can't give that away this early into the film. Surely. Surely I not. mean, come on now. It's a famous B case. But he, he uses his briefcase to bat them off and his bat from earlier to, to scare these gang members away. And he's he's got this real fixed focus on going home. It's like, I'm going home. Clear a path. I'm going home. No one get in my way. He takes their knife. He's building up a little armoury here of weapons in his pocket. It's very video gamey. And I Mm. think if there's one thing that is made like watching this movie and not just switching your brain off and being like, man goes crazy, is the fact that literally it follows a sequence where he does a mission, then he gets a cool new weapon. And then he does another mission and he makes a new contact and gets cool new boots or whatever. You know, it's it's very much like, even they're showing him that he's very flawed, it's still very much like a power fantasy and a total power Mm. trip. Like the idea that, yeah, fuck it if i'm just sitting here and mowing my business i reckon i could beat off two gang members yeah come on i'd it'd be get all the gang down here i'll give them a bang come on let's come on i'll put them up put up your dukes yeah put them up, put them up. also yeah. it's on that basis that i'm now going to tease you sam okay. for later on in the episode oh. that there is at a point crossover between this movie and a famous skating video game okay i think i know 
where Ooh. this comes up, but we'll, we'll get yeah. to it later. Okay, okay. So he's acquired knife. He had previously acquired bat. Off he goes. Mr. Lee, the Korean store owner from before, is at the police station. He's making a statement. Robert Duval is taking the statement, but it's important that he knows that this guy has seen a man come in, smash things up, but still pay for things and leave. And he's wearing a shirt and tie and things like that. So that we're building up this picture that he knows all what's going on here. He, yeah, he hasn't put the pieces together yet. These incidents are not like the types of things that you would tie to like a rampage of sorts. But no. like, yeah, he's he's privy to all these little moments. Mm. I do like that they kind of go out of their way as well, like in the early moments of the movie, because you know, he mistakes the the Korean shopkeeper as being Chinese, and then Robert Duvall mistakes his colleague as being Korean. He's like, "Well, I'm Japanese," you know. And I just kind of you know like they're showing that even. In, in LA in this time where there's like people working in the department everyone's just making fucking kind of assumptions and just could do a lot better quite frankly yes. fuck up your ideas 1993 come on it's nearly the 21st century very much so Michael Douglas does get through on the phone to his ex-wife and talking about how he's coming home for his daughter's birthday she doesn't want him there it's not your house we are not together. Yeah, please stop calling is probably one of the most final lines you could probably say yeah. to someone. There's not much kind of a follow through on that. Like, if you want to you absolutely spike and kill off an improv sketch, don't do yes and say, please stop calling. Yeah, you know? this, and then is, this there, is very much please stop. Um, <laughs> but he, he, again, our character is not necessarily relatable in what he's doing, but that focus on, I have to do this thing, I have this thing to do, everything's getting in my way and stopping me from doing the thing. The fact that the thing is something that, you know, his family don't want him to do. And he's not allowed to do He's not allowed to, he shouldn't be doing. But that, I have to come home, I have to bring her the present, I have to do this, everything's getting in the way, and it just all builds up and it's too much. I I get that. I understand that, okay? What, the laser focus? The focus on a a task at hand. What's the task for you, Sam? What's the task that you're relating to here? I have to record this podcast, okay? I have to, guys. I have to speak to Kevin. Skype sometimes gets in the way and goes wrong. Or, That's true. You know, the, some of the our schedules get mixed up, but I'm like, no, we have we have to put have this to. episode out. I said that I was going to do it in my head to myself, so I've got it. It's got to happen. Come on, we're doing this. So you're not going to go any rampages if my no, schedule no, no. messes up or anything like that. We're okay, right? <laughs> well, you know, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he's he's being very creepy on the phone. I don't, you know, he's not he's not a good guy. Oh no, it's no. It, you kind of immediately know that this guy is basically just kidding himself because like what's his actual plan? Like what does he think is going to happen? Like you know, he's he has himself convinced he's going to do this certain thing that like he knows in his heart of hearts is impossible. So yeah. like at the end of the movie when they're like you're going to kill your wife and child and like you kind of wonder is it a case that he knows that he's going to do that at this point or if he's just like you know, is completely oblivious to what's inevitably in his head. I'm not even sure he knows what he's going to do. He just feels like he's clinging on to this last thing that he feels like he can do and has to do, and he hasn't realised that everything around him is (laughs) falling down. Hey, come on now. The gang's all here, i.e. the gang from earlier is here in its entirety. Yes. And much as it was proven in Grand Theft Auto, Scarface, The World Is Yours, and countless other video game examples, drive-by shootings, while may seem like fun destruction, are actually very difficult to pull off and rarely hit the intended target. Yes, I mean, I imagine it's hard to 
to be driving by and also to shoot. I mean, if I can't you know? do it in Grand Theft Auto, and I've been playing those games since I was a child, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to. I will stop the car and I will get out instead. Yeah, you know? You know, a get-out shooting. That's what I prefer. I don't <laughs> want to be having to hold down R1 or whatever it was and try and, like, aim and drive. Oh, can, can I use the D-pad now, please? For this and nothing else. Yeah, okay. But yeah, they, they miss him completely. They hurt a bunch of other people. They crash their car. Michael Douglas approaches the car, takes one of the guns, a, a fucking Uzi thing, says, you missed, and shoots I'm one going of the- to say as well, that is a commando-level sack of weapons. That's a proper oh, yeah. boom bag right there that he's got going on. Shoots one of the gang members in the leg, walks off after saying, take some shooting lessons, asshole. Walks off to this badass drum beat with a big fucking gym bag full of guns and that's one of those sequences where the character does sort of look cool even though he begins it by completely missing him and stuff like that but i took it to be like it doesn't matter how fucking awkward or wrong or geeky like it was meant to be powerful i guess and that Mm. i think guy with a gun is always a fucking scary business this guy with a gun is like a particularly terrifying set of affairs even though everyone has just witnessed a drive-by shooting well the, so the music here i thought was quite interesting because we have this kind of badass yeah we've also got the music feeling a bit discordant and minor key and kind of tense and horrible so it's got the kind of what he has in his head that i'm the fuck i'm a cool dude i'm gonna walk out of here with this bag of guns and shoot this guy but also what we're as the audience are seeing like this is a man in serious trouble here he's made a, a lot of mistakes and this you know is- when, when you mentioned those scenes like this it yeah it kind of makes me feel like i wouldn't blame an idiot for watching this and then kind of taking the complete wrong end of the stick oh yeah yeah you know i mean you can watch robocop and go we go god hope we get some robotic police to join our boys in blue as soon as possible because that's exactly what we need i I don't want to tell people how to watch things and i don't know how to watch things as you've heard from this podcast but i imagine a lot of people have watched this wrong (laughs) i did dozens of times for sure yeah i think you could easily look at this and think oh that's a cool character and he's just pissed off and he's taking it out on the world and that is a reading of it sure i don't think that's the intention of it but i think there's probably a lot of people who have just taken that face value you know everything's got on top of me it's too much i want to take it out on the world it's everyone else's fault and that and thinking that's the actual message of the film it it is kind of worryingly i don't say worryingly relatable but i mean but for some people i think for some people it is yeah Yeah. (laughs) so prendergast we find out a couple of things about him when he's meeting with the captain we find Mm. out firstly he's not held in very high regard by his his peers because he was wounded and taken off the streets at one point Mm -hmm. and then he's told that he has to be given this speech from the captain which is the please don't retire speech and sorry if you're leaving a job and you get a please don't retire speech fuck off if you're given that speech fuck the absolute fuck off i see the way it's given to him as well it's like you know i don't want to tell you this but also i have to say you know don't oh don't retire oh please on the on your last day for them to give you that speech is strange yeah i mean if any day you say a week or two before maybe plans could change but last day were you sure what don't say that come on and we established that his captain doesn't really give a shit about him or know much about him he doesn't know that he lost a child 
Uh, yes. And so that's so, a, an extra factor in this that we, we add to his character. We have a bit of a scary miss here where it looks like for a moment he's about to get onto a bus, Bill Foster, and mm. thank God he didn't. That would have just been a terrible situation for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. We find out from the police who are now meeting with his ex-wife that he has a very bad temper, although he has no history with drinking, really, no drugs. And it gets kind of vague about like why he has this restraining order she says like he'd show up at all hours of the night or you know that he never actually struck her or the child but that there were so many times where she felt that he might yeah and they're like she also said the judge made an example out of him so you get the kind of sense that the cops aren't taking her very seriously because they seem to think well it seems to me the judge only did this court order because he was trying to i don't know be overly cautious like when when she's like telling him that he has a restraining order and she's like it's 100 uh, yards or feet i'm not sure what it is he's like well that's the judge's discretion like 100 yards what a shit restraining order is that well i i think this that is a shit distance but i i love those (laughs) little weird dialogue details in this the the kind of focus on the kind of mundane confusion similar to the bit where we had you know do you know how much money my country gives your country how much Uh, i don't know but and this kind of thing of like oh is it 100 yards or 100 feet oh it depends on the judge oh really i thought it was a set thing that kind of banal nothingy kind of was it oh our five minutes of allocated time are up now thank you very much see you next time <laughs> yeah the, the police are being dismissive about this they're being really kind of like okay so he hasn't done this hasn't done that well uh it's not really a threat is it when she's very clearly intimidated and scared but this is to us he, saying oh they might not take this whole thing seriously so he and could you, you hear get that when they're back in the station it was pretty cool mm. you hear kind of all the chatter in the background of the station constantly of all the other kind of cases the different police are picking up on and you hear people say things like the police aren't here just to escort hysterical women when they're feeling low about them so you, you hear mm. the, you hear that it's not taken seriously like back at the department and whatnot. so we head into the park because there's lots of roadworks going on where he's bothered by a sandwich man who I have to say wins the <laughs> a award <sandwich> man. <laughs> a sandwich man who wins the award for in like the most like exponential rate of decay like this guy is like radioactive his excuses have a half-life that run out so quickly yeah first of all it's like he's a friend is meant to be here he didn't meet him and now he's run out of gas he had to sleep in his car now he's a vietnam war vet he's too young so he's a gulf war vet now it's my park and the best one come on man give me some money (laughs) (laughs) give me a briefcase i could sell that briefcase and eat for weeks come on man i I haven't eaten in three weeks he's literally got his mouth is full as he's (laughs) i mean again got to acknowledge a good line uh oh that's a hell of a way to treat a vet man you're an animal doctor hey because come on now vet but uh, this got me thinking that i think michael douglas's character could so easily have not gone on a mad rampage but could have channeled his energy into open spot stand-up comedy really (laughs) all these little run-ins with people instead of smashing things or hurting people you could say what's the deal this guy comes up to me right and he said he says to me have you got only changed because i drove down with my mate and i said oh uh let me see your license or your car and he's like ah forget <laughs> it uh you know what uh, and he's like, walking you around your room but- going and what what do all of you study at university what do you what do you study engineering okay and and you what do you, do you study <laughs> 
And he's trying to work in his missile defense oh, system God. bit that he's yeah. got. It killed in Norwich. It killed in Norwich, it did. But he, he eventually gives the guy the iconic briefcase, which just has a, a sandwich and an apple in it. And I will say, that sandwich looks like it's been sat on by, and I quote, an elephant man. It, yeah, it, it does. It doesn't look like a good sandwich. Hey, it might have been in there for a while. Who knows? Yeah, but that sandwich looks like it's been clutched and shook, saying, I told that idiot to slice my sandwich. It has that <laughs> it has that exact shape to it, like. Meanwhile, back at the police station, mm. the girl who was with the gang, she starts telling them about Foster, and everyone just doesn't believe her. They think that she's talking shit, like, yeah, sure, a white guy showed up and, and, and shot you and took a bag of guns, sure thing. And Prendergast, he's, he's, he's in the background, he clocks it, but wouldn't you know it, Sam, he's muzzled by top police brass. He's muzzled by brass, and they're like, "No, don't, don't be coming in here. We're doing this interrogation over here." But he, he's establishing that. Oh, was it? Ah, it was this white guy with suit and tie. He's putting the the links together. He's he's adding everything up, and he goes over to what I really like a big map in the middle of the police station, and I really hope they still have big map in the middle where you can go. Oh, this happened over here, and this was just here, in and case this was here, and it forms lines. an arrow or a skull or an X. Yeah, I just you know it was one of the many things I dislike about the police is that I feel they're poised to find hidden treasure a lot more than the normal person is, and I don't yeah. like that. I really don't like that. I want a big map and some pins and some string that I can just. Put, put little places in for myself and, you know, yeah, just be draw, fun. draw some pretty patterns. I would like that very much indeed. Mm. Too long has this been just the exclusive remit of the police force and true crime podcast makers. We can have one. But I've just remembered a Mitch Hedberg joke where he's, he's saying that he wants to get a map and put a pin in all the places he's been. But first he's going to have to visit the top two corners so that the map doesn't <laughs> fall down. <laughs> Which is solid What a fucking treasure he is. So, Michael Douglas is here at Whammy Burger. Whammy! um, And he wants the breakfast, but it's lunchtime. We've all been there! Oh, we, we we wandered into Whammy Burger. We said, uh, "I'll have the uh, the the muck." I uh, sorry, the Whammy muffin, please. And they're like, uh, "We don't. We're not serving that at the moment." I'm like, but "It's twenty five to." Well, we stopped at half past. What's the deal? Uh, time is a construct. You can't do this to me. You know. So I would be lying if I said there was no point in my life where like this didn't happen. Where I was like, "I think I'll go get some breakfast at McDonald's or whatever the place where I'm going to get a breakfast is." And it turns out it's no longer being served. As I said, Kevin, we've all been there. We've all, we've been, all there. been there. But but my God, it's not necessarily a place I wrote home about or sent a fucking postcard. I moved on, you know? Come on. Imagine how he'd react if he went for a poo and then there was no toilet paper on the on the roll. And, you know, what, what would he do then? He'd, he'd smash it up. But exactly. Really- it would be ridiculous. The The world is missing out on some quality stand-up material here. I keep feeling that every time he goes on one of his little adventures. you got to pick a lane here, defence. I mean, with regards to him in this scene particularly, here's mm. my hot take for you, is that this is an alternate universe where Walter Socek never met the dude, and he's just out in the world. He got a regular job. It didn't yeah, work yeah. out. He got married. It didn't work out. He had a kid. It didn't work out. And now he's here. I don't know anyone. Does that follow the goddamn rules? Has everyone gone crazy? <laughs> yeah, he, he wants the breakfast. Like, honestly, yeah. it'd be one thing if the man's going for fucking hash browns and a sausage biscuit here. He's going for, an, like, an egg McMuffin. Yeah. Would you fucking leave it? Come on now. Well, they are nice, though. Would you give me a microwave and some eggs and I'll do you some at home? Come on. <laughs> he pulls out a fucking gun in the middle of this restaurant, accidentally shoots the ceiling, and he's kind of... We have this slip where he's, he's not 
badass. He's not cool. He's a bit rubbish, and he makes mistakes, and he's sometimes confused by his own. He doesn't self know the what the fuck he's, he's doing yeah. at all. Yeah, like no. the hair trigger on the Uzi, and he's like, you know, he's like, everyone remain. No, 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 It's a hair trigger on this automatic weapon. Just that it's a new gun. You have to give me a moment to get used to it. Is all. And he changes his mind and gets lunch anyway, which is that is kind of funny in a way. He's going around the restaurant while they're making his lunch, asking all the patrons, like, oh, are you enjoying your food? An old woman throws up, and he says, I think we have a critic, little chuckle, and fucking hell, Kevin, that got a a genuine big laugh from me. (laughs) Like, that was was an actual funny line. Oh, God. I mean, I feel this, in many respects, could have been the whole movie. It reminds me of, like, Dog Day Afternoon, which I assume you've you've not seen, but, like, the idea, like, a heist gone wrong like this, I always am infinitely obsessed. I'm always game to watch what happens here. And I'll tell you right now, Mr. Defense, you can have a pop at all your different past aspects of society that you've got grievances with. Whatever. It's your right as an idiot. But I will not stand here and have you erase the history and the work of food stylists and photographers. Ah, yes. That shit, get out of here. Get out of here. Well, because he's like, it doesn't look like the picture. It doesn't look like the picture. Yeah, because the professionals have been working on it for two hours. The fact that they can get those pictures from what you're holding in your hand, that should make you go, wow, wow, wee, wow. Fucking false advertising, mate. It's bullshit. Uh, you can't show that picture and then give me that, all right? I mean, I take pictures of my own food on Instagram, Yeah. right? And there's times where I've taken it and I'm like, yeah. Like, if I took that picture, I'd be like showing it to myself going, how dare you serve me this? And it was promised to be something else, you know? Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Y- you can take pictures of food that make them look like mugshots at the best of times. <laughs> so it's it's nice to actually, yeah. you know, take a moment. You know what? Go and watch a video about a food stylist from a fast food oh, it's, restaurant. it's fascinating. It is so fascinating. Yeah, it's a real art. Fascinating, strange, wonderful art. And I appreciate any artist, Sam, specifically those who have mediums that have time and flavour working against them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert Duvall... Pendergrass? Pendergrass. Pendergrass. He's having lunch with his colleague Sandra, and she finds out that a guy went into Whammy Burger, pulled out a gun, then paid for his meal and left. Oh, yeah. Detective Jim Carrey told him that. He's like, meh, this guy down here. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, wait wait a minute. What? What's this guy wearing a shirt and tie? And he's like, oh, come on, mate. We don't have time for that. Come on, Sandra. We've got to get out. He's like, no, but just just let me know if the shirt and tie, because I think I, think I, as a detective here, have made a bunch of links to things that could be important. But they were like, ah, no, we're just going to get out here and investigate these unrelated oh, things. Oh, go die on your last day of retirement. <laughs> God. Some people. Uh, a moment from the movie which... Hmm completely went over my head when I was a kid, I think, and okay. and many subsequent viewings. There's this kind of like little bit moment of quiet here where Mickey D is looking at a protester across the street and they're outside a bank and there's this African-American fellow who's got a giant billboard that says not economically viable. And you can only hear kind of in the background, like it's not him really to camera saying it, but he's basically saying like that he's been rejected for a loan. And he's yeah. like, oh, I'm not economically viable. He's shouting at people on the street saying, oh, this guy's obviously happy because they'll give him a loan. Da, da, da. And he gets arrested and taken away. And the whole time he's doing it, they're playing this very sad, poignant music and they have like Foster looking him right 
right in the eyes and he looks at him and he says don't forget me and mm. he like acknowledges that and i think this is the movie's not entirely a successful attempt to try and at least explain to you that william foster doesn't think that he is an out and out racist you know that people from all these different racial groups necessarily are the cause of my ills but that there is a, an oppressed working middle class or whatever black or white it doesn't matter man but i think you can empathize with people in similar situations and tell yourself i'm colorblind and still hold a lot of prejudices in your heart you can see how his internal logic is working here i think yeah yeah but it still feels a bit the kind of like don't forget me and him kind of nodding he's like kind of saying to himself like oh i'm you and me we're the same the only difference is i'm gonna i'm gonna make a stand for people like you and me which is like Mm. all right you're gonna kill your fucking wife and kid on behalf (laughs) of this man who got rejected for a loan seems a bit weird in the meantime he's found a little unicorn snow globe thing for his daughter he's gonna get his daughter this thing because it looks nice. I mean, I'm just going to say, if I was a kid and I got a snow globe, I'd be pretty pissed off. That is one of those things that looks pretty and can't be played with. So yeah. so what's what's the point? You, what you might as well do is smash it open, get out the figurine, and give me the thick fluid in a glass to drink later on, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the ex-wife back at home, she's shocked by what looks like Mickey D popping up. But it's really just one of the cops with glasses on. I love a good little split-second editing trick here. Because yeah. it, it was Michael Douglas for a second there. You could see... Or a very convincing double. <laughs> but if you know, if you just watch that... Now you're did, thinking of Michael Douglas. I think that's a different <laughs> uh, different actor. But, you know, if you watch that in the cinema and you didn't have the luxury I did of, of going back in VLC player and slowing it down a bit, just about... Freeze oh, frame! Yeah, then you just get unnerved. And that's that's the effect they want. But the, the cops are leaving. They're like, well, we're off now. He's not coming back. You'll be fine. Everything will be okay. Goodbye. Okay, so there is another sequence here of Michael. Like, he, he gets annoyed... Uh, someone saying, oh, buddy, there's other people waiting to use the phone booth. And so he oh! shoots up a phone booth. But in the background is the most mad thing I've ever seen in the background of any scene of a film. I it's know what was. What? It's, it's a giant butt. It's like a giant human ass that says Sir Mix-a-Lot on it. And it's a building size. It's the size of a Subway restaurant next to a Subway. There's just a big advertising ass, like a giant Sir butt. Sir Mix-a-Lot? Yeah. Sir Mixelot famously liked big butts and was unable to lie about that fact. So, th- I think, I don't know if this existed in real life or this was for the film, but there was a What, big... did Sir Mixelot have, like, a pop-up shop, is what no, we're saying yeah, here. and the whole shop was a bum. It was a big bum. Did you not see this? I didn't did not I, see the I, big I've bum. seen this movie so many times, I didn't oh. see there was a big ass building. What's going on Kevin, here? there's a giant butt building. Unless I got some weird special DVD version that I'm not Sir supposed Mix-a-Lot, to get. Do you think Sir like, just to kind of keep the brand going, he drives around in, like, a big butt car and he's got like his, he lives in that house and he's like you know come on guys let's keep it going like i just i couldn't take my eyes off this this big butt and that's Amazing. not the first time i've said that in my life but it, it was next to a subway restaurant and i just imagine eating in a subway next to the giant building sized ass next to you advertising some mix a lot's album I d- oh i've got an unholy urge to go to that exact scenario and start singing the circle of life i'm not entirely sure why <laughs> <laughs> He's got a big hole in his shoe, and so he goes into a shop to get 
some more shoe, right? He needs yeah, a new he shoe. Yeah, pops into Army Surplus Store, which mm. was great. Back in Ireland, right, I lived in Galway, there used to be a great Army Surplus Store. And you go in, you get a good raincoat or a good bag or a good pair of shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to the UK and I went to Army Surplus Stores and all they had was Nazi memorabilia. What the fuck is that oh. all about? I'm like, I need a good pair of shoes. And the man's like, well, I want to kill all the Jewish people in the world. Like, all right, we're at cross purposes here. Ouch, I pop there. Is that, what's, what's going on? UK, what happened to your army surpluses stores? I got a Radiohead t-shirt in mine in 1996. Why the fuck can't I do that now? What's going on? I simply don't know what to tell you. Did the army surplus run out and then we just had to go into the Nazi surplus instead? <laughs> Is that it? Like, it could well we're, be. Sorry, we're out of allies next to us. So the shop owner of this shop, the surplus store, very quickly establishes himself as like, oh, okay, he's homophobic. Oh, okay, he's like anti-Semitic. Oh, okay, he's like big horrible, racist, misogynistic bad guy. Oh, he's basically an extra character from GTA 4 The Lost and the Damned. Oh, okay. He ticks all the boxes very quickly. And Sandra, the police officer from before who was talking to Robert Duvall, she comes into the shop, she's walked in there, and the shop owner protects Michael Douglas, keeps him hidden in the dressing room, and his reasoning is like, you and me, buddy, we're the same. Come on down to my private stash. Now, what I will say, right, is if you ever find yourself in a situation where someone is holding an empty canister of Cyclone B and within eye shot over their shoulder there is a Nazi Santa Claus and mm. saying we're the same you and I you've made a mistake probably not your mate you, you've, yeah. your life has taken an unexpected <laughs> turn of sorts there I think I really was intrigued by this kind of dynamic here where they're both kind of pointing fingers saying like you know one's saying you and me were exactly the same the other's like no we're absolutely nothing alike how dare you and it's kind of like it is those two different parts like one guy is saying I want to you know exterminate other races you're the guy's like well i just want to keep the suburbs nice and safe and get rid of all the thugs it's yeah. kind of dressed up in different language but they are a lot more similar than i think michael douglas's character lets on yeah than he would care to admit even yeah he says the difference is i'm an american and you're a sick asshole the two are not mutually exclusive to him he's thinking i'm not racist i just like things how they've been or how they used to be or my way of doing things and i don't like this that and the other and so when he's confronted with an actual full-on racist who that racist can look at him and be like, ah, this is my guy. Like, he assumes that he he shot up Whammy Burger because he's like, every time you go in there, there's black children. I assume that's yeah. what he did. It's, it's just like his mind jumps to the worst possible fucking conclusion. And I'm not sure if the movie does much here other than maybe provide grounds for someone who maybe was taking this movie at the wrong end of the stick or whatnot to kind of go, yeah, not, I'm not a racist. Like, yeah, you can be opposed to all these things. There's shades of Ed Miliband's manifesto to this whole sequence right here. No, no, I'm not a racist. I just hate immigrants and immigration. That's all, all right? Yeah. I mean, again, catharsis. We get a bit of it here because we do get to see this weird, horrible, racist, misogynistic, homophobic, the list goes on guy, get stabbed and then shot. Good. Good. But Good, but it, you don't, you're not like going, yay! No. Like it's, it's not, you know, usually no. when Nazis die and things while I'm watching, I'm usually... Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a jig for it like you know melt me a nazi i'll be happy for a day we don't quite get that it doesn't really feel good does it it just feels like no. oh no Ugh. so we come back with prendergrass we find out a little bit more he, he gets mocked some more from his captain about being you know uh, a coward and a phony and whatnot and also one of the greatest lines ever i don't trust a man who doesn't curse <laughs> yeah what's that about yeah, come on, mate. You don't not a single fuck, a shit, a, you know, the bum, wee, 
willies. None of that. It means I'm very trustworthy, sir, which is good yeah. to know. <laughs> Yeah, we're both trustworthy fellas. It is, and uh, my whole family is as well. My favourite memories is the first time Joe, the intern, came to my house for Christmas. She was like, why does your family swear so much? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we find out why he's off the street. It's not just that he was injured. It's literally, he fears for his wife. And he's talked a little bit earlier about kind of how his wife kind of, because she kind of threw herself into child rearing, which she didn't really want to do. And she was kind of like, a, she was a great beauty in her day that he mm. says like, oh, it's hard hard to see your looks go when it's all you've got and jeez that's a fucking depressing thought and the point here which is really sad is like he said he came home at one point and she thought that she got into her head that he was dead and then when he came home she thought he was a ghost and he had to chase her all around the house and he's like right I'm just gonna go behind the desk and ah uh, that's a nightmare pentagast more like rent a ghost am I right because I think I'll pentagast as Pentag- a ghastly figure ghoul, ghoul. Uh, <laughs> So Michael, he's a, he gets back on the phone again to his ex-wife and is saying that he's past the point of no return. He's on the other side of the moon now, outside of any contact with the folks back on Earth. You've just got to hope he comes back round and, and just up again. you get too sympathetic with his little uh, analogy there about dying astronauts, he goes, just by the way, it's illegal to kill your wife in some yeah. South American countries. Because he, he did sound like a... And he does occasionally in this sound like a little boy who's lost and is just trying to... He's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I, I've am i lost control of this whole thing. And ah, then he comes out help. with his cursed boomer memes I'll at the end there. Like, yeah, yeah, like a minion uh, going, did you know you can kill your wife in certain South American countries? Okay, so when we're sort of thinking, oh, maybe, maybe he's just lost his way and he's really struggling. I mean, he is struggling, but also he is also threatening to kill his wife it i i wrote that it's a veiled threat it's not really it's, it's not just really no just there's not much of a veil there is there and look no. just because someone is struggling and they appear in a sympathetic light in some respects doesn't mean you have to necessarily sympathize with them how many times has lord sugar said i'm struggling i don't think one time i've empathized with them not <laughs> once and he's frequently struggling. Yes. But hey, Pentagool has figured out he's back at the convenience store near where the car was abandoned. Actually, no, he's evolved into Penta Haunter at the moment, or <laughs> have you know, so. He's gone back to the convenience store. That's near where the original car was abandoned, the defense thing. He's Love like, this hey, intuition shit. Great. Mr. Lee, defense! defense! <laughs> sure, why not? But he he's linked it all together. He's like, this is the guy who went to there and did this and did that and did that. So now we know this guy's address because because we've got his car and we know where, you know... We've, you we've got the got sequence it. of events, you know, they've tied in, like, where he's picked up the guns. They kind of figure out more or less where his plan of attack is going to be. We come across probably one of the most famous scenes in the movie after the Whammy Burger one, which is mm. when he has a little bit of a road rage. We, we see some more of that famous L.A. road rage. And I don't know why there'd be this much road rage when there's jam, but it's a traffic jam, you see, and it's not the nice type as well that you might have a bit of fun making on a weekend. Sam, I'm now to sound the klaxon because it's time to reveal the skating video game connection. One of the Tony Hawk's games, possibly Underground or... Underground 2. Ooh, it's American Wasteland. Ah, okay. AKA yeah. the True Believers, because only the idiots were around when Ride came out. Uh, this is a, uh, there was a mission where you met a guy who 
like, claimed that he was filming a movie and he had a big rocket launcher. You went to a construction site and the, literally the exact same thing happens. Yes. So he's angry at the, the roadworks because he's like, oh, you're just... And all this, all the skaters in the American wasteland were livid. They were trying so to grumpy. Stop us. All those guys... We see you there, all of you trying to stop Bam and the gang getting out there skating. Your dumb yeah. vetoes and what have you. Bam was there. Bam's dad was there in a shopping trolley. You know, the whole skateboarding crew. Bam, stop it. You know, the... <laughs> Um, <laughs> we and Joe rewatched all of Jackass. She'd never seen it before. Wow. Uh, okay. I I will say. I, I mean, I assume you've watched the movies and stuff. Yeah, Go yeah. watch the whole goddamn thing. It's it's good. Right. It, it holds up. It yeah, does yeah. nothing like it. It, it no. really is. YouTube has killed like that era of comedy. You'll never see anything like that again. For the most part, Jackass isn't mean spirited. Sometimes no. there are bits where I'm like, ah, uh, no. Like I think the meanest thing they ever do is the one where they make uh, Danger Aaron dress up in brown face to pretend to be a terrorist because they make him do something really racist and then like have him get beat up because he's doing something like mm. they took advantage of the fact that he was a racist idiot and i think if that's the meanest thing they've done that's pretty not that mean in, in terms of the shows of the time for the most part it is kind of endearingly fun jackass joe is obsessed with steve-o now she just thinks uh. he's so fucking funny because there was that sequence where he walks for like 15 minutes just getting signaled <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the, this sequence here where it's like oh you've spent all the budget because you can want to get more budget you're not really fixing anything and he said i'll give you something to fix and pulls out a fucking bazooka i'd love the little kid wandering up on a bike and being like oh here's how you extend the bazooka i know how to do it very funny very kind of sweet the the kid saw this on tv of how to you know put what together are you a watching bazooka. the bazooka channel again <laughs> it's got a hair trigger that zook though you gotta watch out it's too much gun for him kicks like a mule it does but they're like what's the name of the movie you're making under construction oh where are the cameras this is all like there is humour here. It, that is funny. Fires the bazooka underneath the road, into the roadworks, causes a big explosion. The little lad is like, cool! And then, you know, and scene. Great stuff. Roll credits. Were We're done here. You, at this point, expecting there to be a higher body count? Like, was his... You anticipated, like, you said a slaughter, I think, in the pre-story was the word you used. Yeah, he's not killed anyone, has he? You know, he did kill Nick, the, the white supremacist, he did kill. Like, oh, you he hear did kill him. The police report saying that he's murdered, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's, like, the only person that is actually killed. I know he shoots... He's not killed any real people, you know, he's... Yeah, he's just he's just killed a white supremacist. Yeah. Like, you know, great loss and all that, you know? Yeah, maybe not as much... I wasn't sure whether I was going to expect, like, a, a bloodbath here. Yeah. More, this is more of a carnage bath. You yeah. Know? This is more of a ruckus bath. It feels, though, like, at this point in the movie, it we've had, like, one or two of these kind of, like, scenes that had more goofy lines and kind of levity in them than there was, like, biting social commentary or dramatic tension. And I was wondering if, like, the movie kind of... Got a bit more lighthearted in the middle section here, almost, before we yeah. got to the kind of the more nail-biting conclusion. I think so. I think that, I mean, throughout the whole thing, it does try and balance out these sequences with a bit of levity or mm. a bit of silliness. How effective that is, you know, your mileage may vary depending on who you are I and how you, you feel watching I think you can't help this. but laugh if you watch the movie. I'd, I'd be very oh, surprised yeah, yeah. if you watched the movie and you weren't laughing at points. Yeah. Now, at this point, we got a scene here which made me say that I just want a spin-off series where Prendergast does some one-hour murder mysteries on ITV on Sunday afternoons because I have got a soft spot for the disarming police procedural chatter where, you know, Sandy's trying to do, like, the, the proper cop thing with, with Defense's mom and she's, like, asking all the questions and he's just walking around kind of going, tell me about your little porcelain giraffe over here. 
Yeah. Huh? Uh, that, that, oh, I love that shit. And that's how the real connection is made, you know. Yeah. That's how they bond and that's how they learn more. I tell you, you learn those things when you're at the point where you're a day before retiring. You know, you've got those skills. If you've been spending your whole time touching figurines, you're going to know that. And they didn't program that into Robocop. That was the real shame, <laughs> man, you know. His, his fingers couldn't appreciate the porcelain. They'd smash it. <laughs> Michael Douglas, he's now trespassing onto a golf course. It's getting very Grand Theft Auto at this no, point. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, every second or third rampage I've done in Grand Theft Auto 5 or, you know, heist or whatever, I've ended up in a golf course at some point driving yes. around like a loon. It's fun. It's fun. It's a fun place to be. There's an old man very annoyed that a non-member... Why don't you get the goddamn hell off my golf course? Because I got heart problems. Oh, no. Well, the thing where he's like, who is that guy? Get him off here. Go away. And he and then he hit the... He, like, four, four, and hits a, a fucking golf ball at him. And so Michael Douglas pulls out his gun and is like, five. And I'm like, Way. again, wonderful you've, stuff. You've won the internet for today, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> Shoots a golf cart. The golf cart rolls down the hill into the little, what do you call them? Golf lakes. I'm going to call it a golf lake. I know. It's called a ball wet, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the big ball wet. The old man who was angry is having a, a heart problem. He needs his pills. The pills are in the golf cart. My heart pills. And uh, Michael Douglas really relishes being like, well, you've, you've not got your pills now. They're in there. They're going to get wet. And you're going to die wearing that stupid little hat. <laughs> so maybe that's two people he kills then. Yeah. We don't see if that guy dies, I don't think. I don't know where my you know, industrialists being left to die. Like I, That's a morally grey area for me, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but he, I mean, he's starting to kind of enjoy his madness here, more so than we've seen before, perhaps. He, he, he was really having fun there. Dounding how much he's getting away with this. I, I'm not... Yeah. I wonder if I was thinking too much into it, if, if it's kind of like, you know, only a white guy in a, with a shirt and tie can walk around LA, like, all day shooting shit up and blowing up and not have a cop stop him at any point. That's probably part of the message, <laughs> and now I'm thinking about it. I mean, when they're talking to his mum, even she's kind of intimidated by her son. Oh, she's terrified. I'd say more yeah. than intimidated. She talks about, like, how she, he'll, like, stare at her when she's eating, and then, like, she'll, like, spit the food out, and he'll look at her like, he wants to kill her. Like, ah, yeah. God. And it turns out he's been fired from his job for over a month. You know what? He just needs... I'm sorry to say it. He looks like he, he just needs a big wank or something. Like, just <laughs> calm down. Like, fucking hell. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Eat your dinner, have a wank, and calm down. We haven't talked about the iconic haircut. The buzz cut here. You the could fucking balance an alarm clock yeah. on that thing. And I think that does harken back to a different time, doesn't it? And he's a man out of place trying to, you know... He's very much the, the Cold War kind of conformist type because he's got, you know, the, the buzz cut. He has the job helping us from communists, you know, defence engineer building missiles. And I think in 1993, you'd probably feel a little bit, yeah, out of sorts in this world where, mm. you know, his skill set is less valued with your MTVs and what have you. Yeah. The world is moving on. He's not moving with it. And he doesn't know how to respond, you know? Um, what a What a sympathetic guy you know? i mean yeah i mean come on you gotta you gotta you gotta pivot you know it's the 90s yeah. uh, the burgeoning stand-up scene in la i mean i really really think you, you, you... that's where his opportunity was but it, instead he's in a plastic surgeon's fancy back garden with the caretaker having a barbecue with his family and we get little little like rants from me here saying you know i'm i'm overeducated underskilled or maybe it's the other way around i forget but he's like he's taking them hostage basically to yeah. do this yeah and i think in the movie 
does a good job at showing that even if you feel you're justified and even if you feel you're hard done by, there is going to be like inevitable people who you claim that you would have been on the side of who are just going to get hurt and harmed because, mm. you know, he's there talking about the working stiff the whole time, doing what you're meant to. And you've just got a guy who's like a groundskeeper who's trying to have a nice, you know, event with his family and he's fucking holding them hostage at gunpoint. You know, it's. Yeah. And then he's there to tell them how he's got it fucking hard and whatnot. He and says he's not economically viable. Oh, right? so picked, there you go. Pick that up. And he keeps talking about like how like everything will go back to normal once he kind of <sighs> goes. And, and I'll say as well, all right, him having a pop at the plastic surgeons, right? My head only looks normal because of plastic surgeons. Mm-hmm. So, all right, yeah, what have missile contractors ever done for me in my head? <laughs> it, it, it's quite sad the way he talks about how things are going to be. Like, I'm going to get home for my daughter's birthday. He Ooh. says, my wife would hold my hand and we'd talk about grown-up things and then go to bed. And he does sound like a little a little boy lost and confused at times. Well, if you're living you with your, like, your mother in this kind of arrested development, how long yeah. are they divorced at this point, have they said, or has he been split? Well, there was a photo of them from, like, 1988 or 80... Some, so not that long, I don't think. You know, at least two or three years, at yeah. least. Yeah. But I think he's kind of... I don't know. He's he's kind of fallen down, hasn't he? He's really... Yeah, has yeah. a bit. There was that implied dissent as you did allude yeah. to at the start, Sam. The yeah. cop leaves the ex-wife's house and then immediately he calls, like almost like he knows. It's so fucking yeah. creepy. And he is basically, like, he's on his way now, more or mm-hmm. the, the wife Nearly and there. the kids, they're out of the house, they, they zip away, and he's back in the house now, and he's, like, watching creepy home movies. And uh. this reminds me of the one time where, like, we went into the stash of home movies because there was a VCR camcorder knocking around in, like, 1992 or whatever in our house. Mm. And I remember one year there were like parents and my brother were like, oh, let's put on like some of the old videos. And I was like, what's this? It says like Snow Wars 1992. And it's just me like, ah! <laughs> being hit with snowballs. Like, great. Yeah, fucking precious memories. Can you transfer these to DVD and a thumb drive, please? <laughs> and like, he's got all these home movies where it's like, get her to sit in the fucking horse. Oh, God, uh, no. Yeah. And I thought when he was watching those that he was kind of upset by his own gross kind of controlling No, he just behavior. upset at them again, I think. Yeah. He's like, I, why I, did you ruin it? Like, Because we get him being like, do this, do that, and he doesn't, in the videos, he's not really realising how mean and kind of upsetting and weird he's being. Yeah, or how he's coming across. I saw him watching that and I was like, oh, maybe he's realised the error of his ways, but I think I was reading the wrong thing into that facial expression. I think it was like, yeah, I need to go and show them. Better <laughs> pop know? down to the pier and settle this. How great and in control I am. Better go settle their hash right about now. Meanwhile, Prended, Pented, Pentagram, he's back at work and trying to get out of there trying to get to the bottom of this big crime oh you only got a phone call from the wife now hang on a second and she's ringing him at the same time but she's like I'm bleeding to death because the cat has scratched me yeah. and in like in one of those very 1990s moments it's like darling shut up pause for the audience to applause <laughs> and then he goes and tonight when I get home you leave the skin on the chicken that would have been me in the audience just on my own going because <laughs> I'll tell you what if you deny your partner the skin of a chicken, you're a mm. fucking ghoul, all right? And you deserve the worst things in life, okay? That's enough to create a real falling down moment, isn't it, that? It is. You know what? I'm saying that from my place of privilege where I give Joe the skin and I eat the arsehole and the elbows of the chicken because that's what I want. So it's easy for me to be altruistic, isn't it? When yeah. I'm up to my neck and necks and arses. <laughs> 
but as he's trying to get out to get to the bottom of this crime, they've thrown him a surprise party. They couldn't oh, the get his, cake. They couldn't the get cake. his whole name on the fucking cake. It's Prendable Denver. Yeah. Pentecostal at home. There's a strippergram and everything. But he's like, no, come on, guys, I need to leave. Can I just say, on the note of strippergrams, yeah. can we all agree that the tune... Da, 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 we're scoring goals for England. Goal, a goal, a goal. That's called. Yeah, great. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's one of the greatest pieces of music ever. I wonder if it's mm. like Happy Birthday and it's technically not public domain. Like, was uh, it devised with someone will remove their clothes at a paid fee for this? I don't know what that song's called, but it's in. Uh, I, I'm interested to find out. I might do some I research. I think it after may this. be called Ravishing Rick Rude Entrance Theme 1988. It could that's be that, yeah. but it could be wrong. And you know, a cocky police guy's like, oh, afraid of women. Oh, you should. You should. You ever met his wife? Oh, somebody stop him, am I right? He gets to land a bloody a great punch, knocking someone into a cake. And it, you Boom. know, it is a bit, you've been framed. We get, ah, oh, falling into a cake. Great stuff, love so, it. So, in what sense you necessarily thought earlier, Sam, all you've been framed. We can no. certainly say that Beadle was about in this scenario. We do finally get the titular falling down as that man <laughs> is punched into a cake. So I was, I was glad of that. He heads off with Sandy, but Sandy gets shot at the house. He's yeah. on his way to the pier. It's time for uh, a pier showdown. And in one of the most horrible moments ever, when Defense finally comes into contact with his family, he kisses her. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. It's very horrible. His daughter is excited to see him still, but he is, yeah, kissing her in a very gross, aggressive way. You know, she has a restraining order, isn't involved with him, doesn't want him anywhere near her. But he's in such denial that he's still clinging on to this idea that he's a he's a good family man and this is his family and everything's... We're together. I finally made it. We're home. Everything's going to be okay. Only one thing could defuse this tense situation. And mm. he thought he was disarming before. You've not seen anything until you've seen the disarming patter of none other than Popcorn Prendergast right here. Oh. This guy, he's looking in there. He's finding the right kernel and it's like ew, the heat is cooling down he's taking it off the burner straight away he looks cool as fuck with that bucket of popcorn that oh yeah smooth. it's just enough for him smooth. as well smooth yeah now, you know what's interesting Sam the popcorn is one of these things that I think the smaller quantity of it you have in your hand the cooler you look because if he came out there with just a handful <laughs> of kernels looking around in his palm very cool but if he came out with a big mega tub you know and he had yeah, poured yeah, in his yeah. Maltesers he wouldn't have been disarming <laughs> at all he would have been distracting no. look this is a man who has things under control he's subtly flashing his gun to the ex-wife to say look it's okay you're safe I'm gonna take care of this that's good he's talking about how he lost his daughter when talking to Michael Douglas here gives his popcorn to the, the little girl which leads to Michael putting the gun down I keep calling him Michael because he's Michael Douglas Michael putting the gun down giving his ex-wife the opportunity to kick the gun away toss it in the water aha we got you mate you're done for I absolutely love the sequence that comes here firstly the line come on they lie to everyone they lie to the fish <laughs> That's like one of the most grim and accurate assessments of just living in time. You know, that's yeah, just very, yeah. very apropos. 
if mm. perhaps nothing. I did like as well the moment where every movie needs this, where he screws up his face and goes, wait a minute, I'm the bad guy? Mate, to quote Billie Eilish, duh, you fucking are the big bad guy. Fucking yeah. get restrained in order from your wife guy, yeah? He's a naughty fellow. And we come down to a little bit of a old-timey western draw. And he says, he's like, come on, what's it? it's a beautiful thing. You're going to have the big, you know, the sheriff and the bad guy. But at this point, he's already like saying to him, like, I am not growing up behind bars seeing my kid that way. Like, he's, he's pretty much written his ticket here. He's either going to kill him and then kill himself or kill him. That's the two ways it's going to go here. Yeah. And he's saying his daughter will get the insurance money. So that's kind of a an extra little component here that we I don't think we thought of before. You really should think about the terms of that agreement, though, yeah. because I'm not sure if you go on a rampage, if you get there payouts. There might be a falling down clause in there <laughs> that you need to check out. <laughs> the defence clause. Yeah. So we get one, two, three, draw. And the, the gun that Michael Douglas said he had in his pocket was actually a water pistol. And he says, I would have got you. And you see, he, he's wiping off his face, plenty grass. Like, he did actually hit him with, in the face with the water pistol. So he yeah. would have got him as well. I would have got so. you. Falls back into the water. He's done. And uh, Pente- Pentecostal gets an opportunity to say fuck you to his police captain fuck you very much no less in front of the cameras on telly on his last day very well, yeah. nice and then he's like oh my wife's gonna kill me when she finds out i'm a police officer again and it's like wait what this is gonna be even awkward for you being a police officer having just told your captain to fuck off very much yeah what, what is he implying that he's gonna keep going i i thought that he was implying that just when he thought he was out they had pulled him back in that's oh, what i maybe. thought was what happened here at yeah. the end i thought he was like oh i've been carrying on just been doing all this risky shit that my wife's scared about you know, getting into a showdown. I did like the movie ending on the home video. It just kind of showed this, like, very happy family showing you that you never know what's going on beneath the surface. Yeah. And yeah. I think what was very intriguing about the movie is they went out of their way to say that he was not a violent man or, you know, that he himself wasn't violent by nature, but he seems to be a violent man, if that makes sense and whatnot. And it certainly shows a lot about the kind of the gossamer thin line that is between someone who's pissed off and someone who's on a rampage. Yeah. And you know what? Watching in 2020, it felt imminently permanent, particularly at, the, you know, we're July 2020. It feels especially so yeah i would say it's probably aged and gotten a bit long in the truth and is a bit outdated in some of its ways Mm. as a movie that was meant to be morally ambiguous in 1993 it feels like a moral maze in 2020 yeah i don't know if there's like more to this movie than i thought and you know more i could get into than i initially read from it and you could really delve deep into it or whether the movie itself hasn't really gone too far in depth about what it's saying here you know what i mean i thought that this was a, this is a movie from very early memories i had of improving with with extra viewings yeah and i think yeah, yeah given how little i understood any aspect of the movie whatsoever when i first viewed it i mean that's probably saying something yeah but i don't think you're going to be able to say this is like a whoa man they predicted every like you know some people watch movies from back in this time and it's kind of like whoa it's you know this has predicted everything i mean i watched do the right thing for the first time the other night and that came out roughly around the same time period and that for me was really shocking about how like you could have written it today it felt like whereas this Mm. it feels like there's so many little problems i guess and once like the movie itself there's so many little problems that seem to kind of add up and (laughs) yeah feels like the movie's got a bit of a specter of kind of white supremacy and whatnot hanging over it which seems a bit inescapable there's a bit of brexit in there you know yeah i i think there's 
this whole kind of bubbling insecurity and resentment uh, yeah yeah and not a misplacing that anger that it, it's an interesting examination of some of that i think some of it is handled strangely i mean like it was a complicated noise that you made but yeah like, in the most basic sense would you say you had fun watching the movie because i think in spite of everything that i i said i still had a hoot watching this yeah joe watched it with me she had a great time watching it as well but we were both kind of like we'd seen it previously and we were happy to see it again but I think that if it's your first viewing, it seems to be, be a different kettle of fish altogether. It's not like my Lost Boys thing was like, well, hey, I had a bloody blast watching that. And I'm not saying that, you know, because it's not necessarily the most fun film in that same way. I mm. can't still enjoy it and have a blast. But I still, I felt a bit like, I, I felt conflicted at the end of it. I don't know if I'm trying to put too much pressure on my own reading of this or anyone else's reading of this film. But it, I wasn't like jumping for joy. I think maybe I had been hoping for that kind of you know brain off kind of fun oh this is just a man just losing it and yeah going. And like i i was like almost about to say like because there was a part in the priest row I, I was initially going to say i think you're going to love this because my mind immediately went to you well it is it's a right it's an adventure and i'm like no mm. you're not fucking eight you have no. to think in the context of of when it is i think this might be one of the first times we've watched a movie for cinema swirl where the actual context of watching it right now just made it maybe a, a hair more uncomfortable than maybe would have been if we did it like a year or two ago even though it probably would have been just as pertinent yeah, yeah. a lot of things with the the main character just because he's not like our proper protagonist that we can easily identify with and like and he's not an anti-hero either i think that's very no. much worth saying he is the villain of the piece yes but like it's the same with fight club and taxi driver and yeah, all these yeah. fucking you know yeah. white guy goes and does something fucking wrong but kind of edgy and cool and people think like, there's people who watch scarface and think that he's the fucking goody and scarface literally says sure i'm the baddie you know i mean i don't yeah. want more. people are always gonna grab the wrong end of the stick on these types of movies i think but i can see this and i can totally understand grabbing that wrong end of the stick and i think more subtle than scarface for sure <laughs> that stick it, i i can feel that stick being easy to grab because the this is the main character and you're focusing on him and there is some catharsis in some of his actions but not the intent behind them yeah and that, you know you have that you do get irritated by the weight of the world but uh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? You know what it is? It's like going to a special place where you pay money to smash up a load of things and then reading afterwards in a Daily Mail article that the owner's got rage problems and has made racist comments online and you feel a bit yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's like that. I had a good time. I think it's a good film. One thing I want to ask you before getting into your rating then was, yeah. and it's something we've maybe not talked about enough, Joel Schumacher. I had to pinch myself and remind myself that it was him at uh, yeah. directing Helm. The man can fucking make a movie, but he's not necessarily in a box of any sort well the, uh, look we we had the giant sir mix a lot bum we had the the funny man escaping from the cleavage going help me we had the fucking solid zoom shots on a garfield plushie i think there are some hallmarks of schumacher's weirdness dire direction in here weirdness kind of yeah. campness kind of spirit of fun it comes out in here in, in pieces but it, as we said before he's got range he's really yeah. got range in terms of his directing style this is a very different film from the other two films that we've seen of his and i imagine the other films that he's directed yeah yeah to touch on a couple of things the central performances here are great you like mickey d all right mickey d I like Robbie D. Yeah, I like the the double <laughs> D. I like uh, I like Sandri, Sandy, Sandra. The yeah, his partner yeah, yeah. as well. She was cool. And there's great acting at play here, and I think that's part of why 
this feels so complicated because, because it's such a compelling performance. That's ah. the thing I'm touching on here. Yeah, it's compelling, interesting. It draws you in, but not in a way where you necessarily identify with it, but it's still interesting. It still yeah, yeah, yeah. catches your eye, brings you in. So... Strong in that sense. Mm. Direction strong. The choice of music strong. You had a couple of lols. Some of the moments I of that he of gave lulls. you them. Yeah. yeah. I feel kind of interested and fascinated by this film. Would you rewatch? I think you could get a lot out of rewatching. I, uh, I would yeah. certainly read about. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> one thing I would like to do with this film. So, in terms of a Star Wipe rating. Oh, okay. It's mm. tough now, isn't it? Tough to yeah. tough. Tice the top. I have a half point and I have a... Uh, no, all right. This is good. This is good. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Okay. I enjoyed it. I'm interested in it. I feel strange from watching it, but not in a bad... <laughs> not necessarily in a bad way. I'm like... In a, in a uh, complex way. Yeah, it's complicated. It's a four-star wipe movie. Four star wipes. You heard it here first. Way. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Swirl. This episode was produced by Kevin, edited by me, Sam, and hey, I also did the music. If you're after more Swirl content or you want to support the show, or better yet, both, patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl is the place to go. On the socials, we are at cinema swirl on Twitter, and our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash cinema swirl, which is also where our votes for episodes take place. If you've got anything for the mailbag, then send it on over to cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. Please do keep recommending the show to your friends, leaving reviews on whatever podcast thing you use. It all helps us out. Thank you so much. All right. See you next time.